Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We thank God for that powerful song ministrations. The first lady was awesome. I think we have to give a big clap offering unto God for the life of her. And I thank God for making it possible for us to meet again today. For in him, scripture says, we live, in him we move, and in him we have our being. So we thank him for his goodness and for his love and kindness towards us. And then wherever he is, the father of this house, Pastor Brian, I want to thank him so much for this wonderful opportunity. It's not everybody is able to give his platform to you to minister the word of God on a Sunday like this. So if he's been able to trust the servant of God as much as to allow him to do this a second time, I think I ought to be grateful. Wherever he is, may God richly bless him. And then all the men of God who are here today, God richly bless you. Minister of God, Omar, God bless you. First lady, God bless you. Everybody here, may God richly bless you. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for yet another beautiful, splendiferous moment as this. When your children are gathered at your feet to listen to your engrafted, unadulterated word, we thank you because the grass will wither and the flowers will fade, but your word will stand forever. So God, as I speak forth your word, anoint my lips of clay and speak through me. Let this word become like dew upon the lives of the listeners. Let this word correct, let this word rebuke, let this word teach, let this word train in righteousness. Let your people be blessed, even as your word is magnified. For in Jesus' mighty name, we call it done. Amen. Today, I want to give another expository teaching that I've titled, If the Fire of God Must Fall. If the fire of God must fall. When I was asked to do this particular Sunday or so teach this Sunday, I was asking God, God, with all the superabundance of messages that by the, your grace you've given me, which of them do you want me to speak to these people? I was thinking about some other ones. God said, no, go and give them this particular one. If the fire of God must fall. We are going to realize from the title of the message that it appears to be more of a conditional clause, okay? When, if, when, on condition that, provided that, and some of these words are used, they usually begin conditional sentences to suppose that something ought to be done in order for another thing to happen. So when somebody says, for example, if I get home on time, I'll visit my neighbor. There's a condition. The condition upon which I'll visit my neighbor is to get home on time. So when you see ifs, most of the time, they indicate conditional sentences. So here, what we are trying to say by if the fire of God must fall is that if we expect to see the power of God, the glory of God, the Spirit of God move mightily in our lives, there are certain conditions we ought to meet and certain principles we ought to go by. When the Bible talks about the fire of God, whether in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, almost invariably in all cases, it refers to the power of God, the presence of God, or the Spirit of God. Take note of that before we move on. The fire of God in Scripture, whether in the OT 
or the empty almost refers to the power of God, the presence of God, or the spirit of God. We see, for example, in Exodus chapter 3, that Moses, while sending the flock of his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, Jethro, we are told them they took the flock to the back of the desert and from there to Horeb, the mountain of God. And while he was there tending the flock, he saw from a distance a bush that was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And he was greatly marveled. He was greatly flabbergasted by the sight he was seeing. So he turned aside and drew closer so he could have a good look at it. And as he turned aside and drew closer, Bible said the Lord spoke to him from the midst of the fire and said, Moses, Moses. He said, here I am. They said, do not draw nearer. Take the sandals from off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. Okay, so we can see from this particular context of scripture that the fire there represented God's presence. The place where you stand is holy ground. And God spoke to him from the midst of the flaming fire. We also see in Exodus chapter number 13, verse number 21, Scripture tells us that God went out with the children of Israel during their 40 years of perambulation and sojourning in the wilderness. He went out with them as a pillar of cloud in the day to lead the way and as a pillar of fire in the night to give them light. So the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire represented the presence of God that was with the people of God. And we also see that on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, from verse number 1 to 4, the Bible says, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Then suddenly there was a sound as of a mighty rushing wind that filled the whole house where they were. And they appeared unto them clothing tongues as of fire that stood on their heads and separated each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we could see that on that particular day, tangibly manifesting, the Spirit of God appeared unto them as clothing tongues of fire. So we are saying yet to actually conclude that fire of God or fire most of the time represents God's presence, God's Spirit, or God's power. So if you are to connect it to the title of today's homily, we can say that if we must experience the tangible manifestation of God's power, that's what I'm trying to see. If you want to see God's power move mightily in your life, if you want to see God's power move mightily in your health, if you want to see God's presence move mightily in your marriage, if you want to see God's power move mightily in your ministry, what are the conditions? What are the principles? Like I said about two weeks ago, a fortnight ago, I made it very clear, explicitly, categorically, I did say that what we need today as God's children is not really so much rebuking and binding of the devil. And I keep insisting, and I say this wherever I go, the devil is not the problem for the child of God today. If you are here today still worrying yourself and every day I rebuke this demon, that devil, you are just wasting your time. The issue of devils and demons were dealt with over 2,000 years ago on Calvary Cross. What you need is the knowledge of how to walk and operate in God's kingdom. 
It's all about knowing the principles of God and walking in the principles. Because like I said, principles will always make you a principal to deal with principalities. So very important. Okay, so if we must see the power of God manifest, what are the things we are supposed to know and do? If we must see God's presence move in our lives, what are the conditions? And we see, in fact, the background text are two from 1 Kings chapter number 18, verse number 25 to 39. And we see from this background text that something really happened. During the days of the prophet Elijah, as prophet in Israel, the Bible makes it very clear that there was a time that Israel was torn between the worship of Yahweh and the worship of Baal. One side of Israel wanted to stand with God. Another side of Israel wanted to be with the Baals. Now, the problem was that you could not really receive anything fully from God if you have one leg with God and one leg with something else. Because God demands full worship. Like we see in the commandment in the Decalogue. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I visit the iniquity of the fathers unto the children to the third and fourth generations. You shall not make any other gods or worship them. So it was categorical. So as a result of the fact that Israel had turned away from God, mainly to the worship of Baals, and only a few stood with God, the anger of God came upon the people. And we see that through the prognosis of the prophet Elijah, for three years and six months, there was no rain in the land of Israel. But God wanted to bring his people back onto himself. So Elijah, the prophet of God, returned to the people. And he said unto them, how long will you falter and waver between two opinions? If God is God, worship him. But if Baal is Baal, worship him. But do not have one leg here, God, and that leg here, Baal. So we are going to do something to prove exactly who God is and who actually is God. Now gather all Israel and bring them to me on Mount Camel. And then when you bring them to me on Mount Camel, we are going to do something. We are going to ensure that we make the altar ready, put wood upon the altar, and then I'm going to take one bull for myself as the only prophet of God. And a bus prophet, 450 of them will take another bull. Then I will prepare my bull. They also prepare theirs. But I'll give them the benefits of first preparing theirs because they are many. And they are going to lay it upon the wood but put no fire under it. Then they will call upon the name of their God. And I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God that answers by fire, he is God. Now, this particular thing that he said appeared to have gone very down well with the people. He said, yes, we are going to agree. Now, if you read the story carefully from the verse number 25 to 39, with deep revelatory eyes, you could see clearly that Elijah was going by certain principles. Most of the time, we read the whole thing on the periphery, so we don't really get that spiritual revelation. We think that the things that he did, he just did them on the spare of the moment. But no, 
He was going by certain spiritual principles, which I am going to help you identify right now. Every single thing that Elijah did, he did on purpose. And please understand this, understand it well. Everything that has been written in scripture has been written for our example. That's what scripture says. Christ said, what I say to you, I say to all. So if Elijah did certain things and understood certain principles and caused the power of God represented in the fire to fall, when we know these principles and abide by them, I can assure you that the power of God, the presence of God will begin to move in your lives. Now, look at what Elijah did. The Bible says that after the prophets of Baal had done everything that they could, chanting incantations and reciting all the abracadabra and cutting themselves with lances and knives from morning to noon and nothing was happening. All the way to the time of the evening sacrifice, nothing happened. He was mocking them and saying, he is a God, your God is a God, so please cry louder. Maybe he's meditating or he's gone on a journey or maybe he's sleeping. So cry louder so that he will respond to you. As a way of taunting and mocking them. But nothing happened. So let's say, ask them, okay, if you couldn't draw fire from heaven, stand aside. And then he took over. Look at what he did. When Elijah took over, the first thing he said to the people was, draw near to me. Draw near to me. It brings us to the first principle. By Elijah telling the people to draw near to him, he was a servant of God and therefore represented God before his people. So by asking the people to draw near, he was actually telling them that if you want to see the power of God manifest, if you want to see the presence of God move in your lives, please draw nearer to the Lord. And that's the first point. Draw nearer to the Lord. Most of the time, we want to see the power of God move in our lives, but we don't want to get close to God. You see, if you want to see God move in your life, James said something in chapter 4, verse 8. James, what did he say? He said, come near to God and God will come near to you. Draw near to the Lord and the Lord will draw near to you. If you want to see God move in your life, please don't keep your distance from the Lord. Everything that ought to be done in order to draw near to him, do it. How do you draw near to the Lord? By ensuring that you are close to his word. By ensuring that you have a disciplined prayer life. By ensuring that you are living the kind of life that is holy and acceptable in his sight. By ensuring that anything that God forgoes, you forgo. Anything God embraces, you embrace. Anytime a person resolves through his word to stay close to God and to his instructions, you are drawing nearer to him. When you draw nearer to God, you see his presence. You realize that Moses could never see the fire until he had gone to Horeb. And metaphorically, until he had gone up closer to the Lord. We cannot expect to keep our distance and be doing things that will please us. Things that we think we want. Things that we think will gratify ourselves. But against God's instruction and expect to see his power and his presence. It doesn't work like that. When you draw nearer to the Lord. When you try to stay close to his word. When you try to live by his word. When you give yourselves to prayer. When you try to be where God is. Like the great gospel singer Don Moyne said. 
I just want to be where you are, dwelling daily in your presence. When you draw nearer to the Lord, I like the hymn which, which talks about, I'll cling to the old rugged cross. Don't keep your distance from the cross. Get close to the Lord. Be with his word. Anytime a person undertakes to study God's word, to sit at the feet of God and learn his word, to meditate upon his word, you know what you are doing? You are receiving more of God's power. You are receiving more of God's spirit. In the place of quietness, in the place of meditation, when everything becomes unnecessary and God becomes the only thing that is important, God speaks to us. God speaks to us. Today, we are so busy with so many things. So the Lord is even speaking, but we are not hearing him. We are thinking about how much money we must get. Christians of today is all about money, 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 money. Hey, you have to get this. Hey, you have to get that. Hey, you have to go and get this. I have to go and do this. Deal. We are not saying money is bad. Money is okay. But if you are going to give yourself to the Lord, you are going to draw nearer to the Lord. You are going to get closer to the cross. You are going to cling to the old ragged cross. You are going to embrace the Savior. You are going to stay with this word. You are going to seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. All the other things will be added unto you. Get closer to the Lord. Don't spend all your time on the secondary things. If you can spend your time concentrating on the magnets, the magnet will attract the others. Let God be the first in all. Devote all your life unto him. Listen to me. There is something you call good success. Most of us want to be successful. But if you want the true success that comes from above, please stick to God and stick to his word. Stick to God and stick to his word. You can become successful through so many things. People have become illegally successful. They've been able to acquire certain properties and acquire certain mansions and certain things illegally. Others have even gone the occult way. And through occultism, they've been able to get some money and some other things, and they think they are successful. But all those kinds of success, quote-unquote, if really they are, are only temporal. And they end you in ruin and destruction. But there's something we call good success. Oh, and that's what God told Joshua. He said, this book of the law will not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night. And you shall be careful to observe to do all that is written therein. For then you shall make your way prosperous. And listen, and then you shall have good success. Somebody draw nearer to the Lord. God is asking somebody to come closer to him. Stop worrying about all the things you are worrying about. Bring them to the Lord. Stand with God. Get closer to him. Moses got to Horeb, the mountain of God. And when he was able to get to where God was, he saw the fire. He saw his power. <laughs> draw near. Draw near. So Elijah told them, draw nearer to the Lord. Then when they had to draw nearer to him, Bible says, get this. He prepared and repaired the altar of the Lord which was broken down. You know what altar symbolizes? It brings me to the second point on how to draw close to the Lord or how to see his power and his presence. He prepared, he repaired the altar of the Lord. The altar is the place where divinity meets with humanity. 
The altar is the place where man communes with God. The altar is the place of sacrifice. The altar is the place where man is at confluence with God. And where there is a dialogue between the divine and the human. The altar represents prayer. The altar represents prayer. Now, Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord, which was broken. In other words, he was preparing the atmosphere for prayer. If you want to see the power of God manifest in your life, prepare the atmosphere for an effective prayer life. Last week I was teaching, about two weeks ago, a message that I titled, And He Prayed Again. A lot of us are giving up on our prayer lives because we thought we prayed some time ago. We never saw anything. We prayed concerning that sick person, and the sick person died. We prayed concerning the job. We never had it. But the thing about God is that God has a season and a time for everything he intends to do in our lives. When he asks you to continue praying, he wants to see how much you can believe in him. How much you can trust him. How much you can hold on to him. Look at Elijah the prophet. After the fire had even fallen, he went to the top of Camel. Bible says he wanted to see rain descend. There was no rain. But he went to the top of Camel, put his head in between his knees. He was praying. He told the servant, go and look towards the sea. The servant went first time. Came back. Master, I saw nothing. Elijah did not give up. His head still in between his knees. He was still praying. Go second time. He went the second time. There was nothing. Third time, he kept praying. Fourth time. Some of you have prayed one year, one month, two years, three years, and you are already giving up. God says that, please, it is time to clear the atmosphere for a deeper and more intimate prayer life. Get deeper. Get deeper. Get deeper. Get deeper. You see, in heaven, if you read the book of Revelation, there is a censor. And that censor in heaven is a kind of container where the incense of our prayers are reserved and stored. When we read Psalm 141 verse 2, David said, Let my prayers come before thee as incense and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. There's going to come a time that as you keep praying, the incense will increase in your censor and will come to a time that whatever you need, there will be an overflow. Anything that is hindering your prayer life, it is time to get that thing out. Whatever has stopped you from praying or praying effectively, maybe it is some kind of habits you have. You know it yourself, you don't need to tell me. Most of us have something that certain things that are secrets that nobody knows, but God knows. And we spend all our time on that thing. Maybe it is the watching of some kind of pornographic movies. So you spend all the day and all the night, the time that you should spend praying, the time you should spend going before God, the time you should spend clearing the atmosphere, the time you should spend communing with God, you are spending all that time on that which is unnecessary. It is time to clear the atmosphere. For most of us, it is preoccupation with some secular things. Every weekend at the club, spending all the time there, or doing some deal somewhere. So we are preoccupied with certain things that do not help our spiritual growth. 
And we don't spend time in our prayer closets so our altars are dry. God says it is time to clear the atmosphere. If you want to see the power of God manifest in your life, there are certain things you must know and do. And one of them, the second point, which I am on right now, clear, prepare the atmosphere for communion with God. Prepare. If there is anything that has been hindering your prayer life, it is time to get that thing out. It is time. The power of God cannot be seen. Just while we are just eating and drinking and going about doing certain things that are even contrary to God's word. If you want to see the power of God manifest, spend time with God in prayer. It's very important. Habakkuk said, I will stand upon my watch. And I'll set myself upon the tower. And I'll wait to see what he will say unto me. I'll stand upon my watch. I'll get to where God is. I'll wait upon the Lord in fasting and in prayer. And I will wait to see what he will say unto me. If you want God to speak to you, learn to speak to God. I'm repeating. If you want God to speak to you, learn to speak to God. For most of us, the only time when we think about praying is when we come to church. And that is a very serious thing, problem. The only th- time we decide to pray is when other believers have gathered and, yes, let's say the Lord's Prayer, then, uh, Father, that's the only thing. Only on Sundays or their Mass or whatever. But prayer should be part and parcel of the life of every child of God. Prayer is the powerhouse that gives you the temerity and the boldness and the power to move to the next level. If you want God to move in your life, you want to see the power of God at work in your life, please never depart from the prayer closet. Never depart from the prayer altar. Make sure that your altar is always burning with prayer. It is very important because the God we are serving is spirit. Please take note of this. God is spirit. God is not a man like you and I. God is spirit. If God is spirit, then in order to reach him, we must do spiritual things. Take notes. If God is spirit, in order to meet him and see his power, we must engage in the spiritual. And one of the spiritual disciplines is the discipline of prayer. It doesn't matter what your weaknesses are. Learn to pray. It doesn't matter whatever happened to you in the past. Learn to pray. That's what scripture says. Elijah was a man of like passion. I mentioned of this the other time I preached. Like passion simply means that he was a human being. He had the same human nature as all of us. Yet when he prayed, the heavens opened. When he prayed, the heavens shut. When he prayed, the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. Listen to me. If you want the power of God to move in your life, please Whatever has been a hindrance, a stumbling block, an encumbrance to your prayer life, it is time to clear that dross. We know ourselves. We know ourselves. We know what we spend most of our time doing, either overtly or covertly, either openly or secretly. We know. So the time we must spend with God, we spend on other things. Mm -hmm. Please, clear the atmosphere. Clear the atmosphere. Clear the atmosphere. Then after that, this is what he did also. It brings me to the third point. We are told that after that, Elijah picked 12 stones. Oh, I caught a revelation there. 
You know what the 12 stones represent? Even the scripture even says it. It represents the 12 sons of Jacob. It's that to whom the word of God came saying, Israel shall be your name. You know the 12 sons? He brought them together. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulon, Joseph, Benjamin, the 12. He did not just take one stone to represent Reuben or one stone to represent Simeon. He brought 12 stones together. He brought them together. He assembled them. He brought them together and said, hey, Reuben, you cannot do this alone. Simeon, you cannot do this alone. Naphtali, you cannot do this alone. Joseph, you cannot do this alone. If we must see the power of God come down and see the presence of God overshadow our lives, it is time to stand together in unity as a church. In other words, if you want to see the power of God manifest in your life, please pursue the unity of the brethren. Pursue the unity of the brethren. Today's church is too divided on denominational, ethnocentric, and racial lines. And God hates it. Today's church. I don't know whether we really understand even the concept of church in the first place. Because if you talk about church, the first thing that should come into your mind is oneness. Elijah understood that principle. Hey, Reuben, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulon, Joseph, Benjamin. If you want to see the power of God come, we must not be divided. You must not handle your own affairs for me to also mind my own business. You must not think about your matter for me to also think about my matter. We ought to come together. We must understand that there is one body and there is one spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, and in all, and through all. Get it. Get it. When Jesus Christ went with his disciples, and this is scripture we've been reading all the time, but the actual revelation there we have not understood, most of us. In Matthew chapter 16, from verse number 13 to 19, he went with the disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And when they went there, he asked them, who do people say I, the son of man, am? Now, please, get this and get this very well. Some say you are Elijah. Some say you are John the Baptist. Some say you are Isaiah or even one of the prophets. That's okay. Forget about what people are saying about me. You are my disciples. The word disciple, if you look at it from the original Greek, Matetes. You are my students. You have been with me. Out of the same word, Matetes, we even have the, the word Mathematics. Mathetes, the student of a teacher, the apprentice of a master craftsman. The Latin equivalent is disciplus, which is a learner. You are learning from me. You have sat under my feet. So let's forget about what people are saying. What about you yourselves? Whom do you also say I am? Then when they were all quiet, and they were all enveloped in sepulchral silence, and did not know what response to give, then Simon said, you are the Christ the son of the living God. They said, Simon, 
This thing you said was not revealed by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. For you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Please, get this. A lot of people have read that particular verse several times for several ages, and I've not caught the revelation there. They have not caught it. And I'm going to make it so clear to you right now, and I'll connect it to this issue of unity of the church. On this rock, I will build my church. If you look at it from the original Greek text, out of which the English was translated, on this rock, I will build my church. Epi, toti, petra, oikodomio, mu, ecclesia, in the Greek. Epi, toti, petra, oikodomio, mu, ecclesia. That word translated as rock over there actually is translated from the Greek word petra. P E T R A. Petra. Now get it. In the original Greek ancient text, Petra refers to a number of stones or rocks. Get this. That have been brought together, assembled to look like one rock. So it, it is actually not one rock, but rocks from the north, rocks from the south, rocks from the east, rocks from the west, and they have been conglomerated. They have been amalgamated. They have been brought together and combined to stand like one rock. So in actual fact, Jesus was not just referring to one person, Simon. No. When you read on, he said, whatever you bind on earth, will be bind in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In Matthew chapter 18, this issue of whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's repeated. Now, for us to really know, he was not talking about one person. He follows to say, if two shall agree. Now, this is what Jesus was trying to say. Just as a number of stones and rocks are brought together to form Petra. Stones from the north, from the south, from the east, and from the west. You too, my disciples, and all those who in the near future become part of the church. If you are going to come together and stand as one, even though you have various gifts and various talents and various tendencies, if you are not going to allow pride and you are not going to allow selfishness, you're not going to allow your own personal ambitions to split you apart. But you're going to come together and stand as one. One in worship. One in love. One in devotion. One in fellowship. One as a church. Because you are standing as one in the spirit of unity, no gates of hell, no powers of darkness, no witches and wizards, no powers from any angle can prevail against you because you are one. It was actually teaching them something on the essence and the importance of unity. Unity. That Petra, a number of them brought together as one. Today, the church is so divided. Oh, we are on our own. We, we are doing it this way. Oh, no, this is us. We must belong here. Oh, and yet we claim to have one head. It's a big mistake. The church is so divided. On the basis of color. You go to a church, and this is a series I'm doing. You go to a church where the head pastor there is black. Look into the congregation. Everybody in the church will also be black. You go to a church where the pastor is Hispanic. 
Oh, everybody's there. About 99%. You know what I'm talking about? You go to a church where the pastor's white, it is so divided. And these people don't want to come among these people. These people don't want to mix up with these ones. And yes, we say we are church. No! Church is not the building. Church is the people. The very moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, you become part of his family. It doesn't matter what your color is. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your language is. It is one body. And it is one spirit. And I like what Christ said. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. God is calling the church back to unity. The division is too much. Back home, even where I am, where I come from in Ghana, sometimes one pastor will come on the radio to preach. He will spend all his time criticizing, lambasting, lampooning some other pastor. Then the other pastor to also come the next day on television, spend all his time insulting, attacking, castigating, criticizing the other pastor. Too much division. And the Lord is up there in heaven weeping. Oh, the church is supposed to be one church. What is happening? And the enemy is there rejoicing because has left the church so divided. God is saying, no, please. I want the church to unite. I want the church to unite because there's a place called there. If you want to know the place called there, Psalm 133, oh, how good and pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like a precious ointment upon the head that ran down the beard and that flowed down to the skirt of his garment. It's as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion for there. The place called there. For there, the Lord commands his blessing. So the place called there is the place of unity. Unity. If you want to see the power of God moving in the church, let us see ourselves as brothers and sisters. You cannot make it alone. You cannot succeed alone. You may be so gifted, but recognize the other brother too has a gift. You may be so talented, but recognize that sister too is talented. Come together. Stand as one. When we stand as one, it doesn't matter what opposition will come. The opposition will rather determine our positioning. Stand as one. Stand as one. So he brought the 12 stones together. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, God, Asher, Issachar, Zebulon, Joseph, Benjamin, and with the 12 stones, he built an altar unto the Lord. So when we come together and we stand as one together, we can build oneness. You see, a Christian will say, I'm that Christian because he belongs to a different place, either a different race or a different denomination. And yet we all say Jesus Christ. So are we deceiving ourselves? What is happening? It's a problem. And I've sat down critical to try to understand. Then you talk to some of them and say, oh, if you know what they did to us some years ago, if you know what they did to our forefathers, what forefathers? What does the Bible say about those who offend you? What does the Bible say about it? Forgive! Hey, they did this to us some time ago. Our forefathers, do you know how many times you offend God? And how many times God forgives you when you offend him? Otherwise, close the church door and go and sleep because you're just wasting your time. 
Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Mm -hmm. Come together. Come together. Come together. And together, we will build. Then he moved on from there. Bible says he built an altar unto the Lord. And after that, he arranged the, the wood in order, placed it upon the altar. Then he took the bull, cut it into pieces, and laid it upon the wood. The bull he cut into pieces represents sacrifice. Represents sacrifice. If we want the power of God to descend... If you want to see the presence and the spirit of God move in our lives, in our ministries, in our morals, in every area of our lives, please, we must be ready to offer our sacrifices unto God. These days we talk about sacrifice, and the only thing some of these egocentric, parsimonious pastors think about is money. No. Sacrifice goes far beyond just money, giving money. When the Bible talks about sacrifice, the first thing the Bible talks about is the surrendering of your life as a person, fully and totally unto God. That's the first sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. I beseech you, brethren, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God. Now, do you know the reason you must offer your all to God? Let me give you the clue, okay? Because in systematic theology, we compare scripture with scripture. Here a little, there a little. Precept must be upon precept. Line upon line. Here a little, there a little. They came to Jesus and said, whom do we pay our taxes to? Should we pay our taxes to Caesar? There's another revelation here I want everybody here to catch. Do we pay our taxes to Caesar? They said, why do you test me? Bring me a denarius. Bring me a coin. So they brought a coin to him. And I want all of you to listen with rapt attention. Because we may have been reading this for a long time. But the actual truth today, we have not really caught it yet. Then he took the coin. Then he showed it to the people. Then he asked, whose image is on this coin? Then he said, Caesar's. That's okay. If Caesar's image is on the coin, then the coin belongs to Caesar. So, give it to him. Why do you have to give the coin to Caesar? Why do you have to pay that money to him? Because Caesar's image is on it. So, if Caesar's image is embossed on it, well, then it belongs to him. So, give it to Caesar. Pay it to Caesar. Then said, but give to God what the God's. Catch the clue. So, here I'll talk about image here. Now, whose image are you? Mm -hmm. Whose image are you? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. He said, let us make man in our own image and after our likeness. So if the money belongs to Caesar because it bears Caesar's image, then you belong to God because you bear God's So it is time to surrender your life. Give it all. Don't hold anything back. Oh, God, I'm going to worship you. But as for those little, little girls I have been playing with, mm, surrender fully. God, I'm going to give it all to you. But that secret masturbation, God, mm, surrender it all to God. 
God, I'm going to give it all to you. But those profuse gambling and other things, no, 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 give it all to God. God, I'm going to surrender to you. But as for that particular thing I'm making money from, I know it is not really good, but that's how we eat, oh God. So please permit me, Mm-mm. surrender it all to God. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. If we must see the power of God come down, it is time to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Give it all to him. Don't hold anything back. You see, the very moment you claim to be a Christian, do you know what it means? You were bought at a price. So the Bible says you are not your own. You don't belong to yourself. So you are ready to do the master's will under his power and his enablement. You don't hold anything back. Go for this one. No. Give it all. Offer your life. Offer your morals. Offer your finances. Offer your business. Offer everything. Listen, and when God takes charge of everything, it will surprise you how far you will go. It will surprise you. And I said it here the other time, and I'm still saying it. Man of God, ever since I understood this principle of the fact that I belong to him and fully belong to him, there are certain things I have never complained about in about 15 to 20 years now. And those who are with me regularly, they understand it. And they know what I'm talking about. About 15 to 20 years. Man of God, I'm saying this to the glory of God. Not to boast or whatever. But to God's own glory because of what he has done. I have never been sick. 15 to 20 years now. No hospital, nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you learn to surrender everything fully to him, he takes charge. The problem with today's Christian is that, oh yes, God, in this way, I will come for church, I will come to church. As for my giving my offering, I'll give my offering. As for singing, I'll come and sing. But for this lifestyle, God, it will be difficult. There is something wrong somewhere. Give it all. You don't come to God and say, God, as for this one, I'm so happy doing this one. I'm so excited. But it is sin. It is sin. And know what happens? Look at it. God formed man. But sin deformed man. Education only informs a man. Religion tries to reform man. But get it, Jesus Christ transforms man. So when you get close to him and surrender it all to him, listen, he will transform you. He will transform you. He will transform you. Give it all. Give it all. That thing that nobody sees, you do under closed doors. The thing nobody sees when it is late and in the night. The thing nobody sees when nobody's around. Please, surrender it. Then you can see the power of God fall. You see it. Then when you have done that, finally we are told something. Bible says that he told them, fill four pots with water. Mm. And pour it upon the bull and upon the wood. They did it the first time. Said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. Do it a third time. They did it a third time. Until every part of the altar, both in and around, was filled with water. Now, in the scriptures, when water is used, especially in the New Testament, water represents either of these, th- these things. Either one, baptism. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. Or the word of God. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 26. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he must sanctify her with the washing of water by the word. And I'm taking the word here in this context. They poured the water generously onto the altar and onto the bull. First time, second time, third time. Water represents the word of God. If you want the power of God to fall, if you want to see the tangible manifestation of God's power, please be pregnant with God's word. Be pregnant with God's word. In other words, let your life be filled richly with the word of God. You have so many Christians today who are so empty when it comes to the word. So empty. So they go to certain places. The pastors are teaching them things that will gratify themselves. And they, they, it's amen, amen, amen. They are swallowing all the, excuse my language, swallowing all the tummy rot, the hogwash, hook, line, and sinker. Because they don't have the word. When you don't have the word, any excuse, any dross just goes for you. But when you are filled with the word of God, that word is a lamp unto my feet. That word is a light unto my path. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish. So it yields seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. It's not my word like fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. For in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was light, and the light was the light of man, and the light shines in darkness, and darkness overcame him not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that through him all men might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light that lights everyone that comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them that believed on his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him when he cried, saying, This was he of whom I spoke, that he that comes after me is before me, for he was before me, and of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You need the word. You need it. Sometimes when I'm going through things that are unpalatable, when I was very immature and didn't really know how to handle it, I'll be binding, casting fire on devils here and there, and it will get worse. Now, you know what I do? When I'm going through things that are unpalatable, I just declare the word. I just declare the word. I just speak forth the word. When I feel that I am under some kind of oppression or whatever, that I cannot really lay hands on, I begin to declare God's word. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, he shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I'll say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom shall I trust. Surely he shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover me with his feathers and under his wings 
wings, I shall take refuge. His faithfulness shall be my shield and buckler. I shall not fear the terror by night, nor the arrow that flieth by day, nor the plague that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand shall fall at my side, and ten thousand at my right hand. But hey, it shall never come near me. Only with my eyes shall I behold and see the punishment of the wicked, because I've made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high my habitation. Therefore shall no evil befall me, nor shall any plague, COVID-19, whatever, come near my dwelling. For he will command his angels concerning me to guard me in all my ways, and in their hands they shall bear me up. So I don't strike my foot against a stone. I will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. I will trample underfoot, because he has set his love upon me. Therefore will he deliver me. He will set me on high, because I have known his name. I will call upon him, and he shall answer me. He shall be with me in trouble. He will deliver me, protect me, and preserve me. And with long life will he satisfy me and show me his salvation. The word. How much of God's word is in you? How much? I shall round up. You want the power of God to come down? Be filled richly with God's word. That's what Paul tells the church in Colossae. In the chapter 3 verse 16, Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. How much of God's word do you have? That's why so many things are just knocking you left and right. There's no word there. No word content. So anything can just come from any angle. Sickness from every Disease. Attacks from whatever angle. Everything just hitting you. For you to stand the persecution and the trials you are going through and come out victorious, you need the word. You need it. Don't just leave it all to the preacher on Sunday to just divide the word. What about you, the child of God? How much of your father's word do you have? Mm-hmm. You want to see God's power? You don't have his word? When even a prophet somewhere tells you, I'm saying that you have to do this and you have to do that. If you have God's word, you can easily tell whether it is right or wrong. God's word. Because, get it, the spirit of God does not contradict the word of God. Mm-hmm. So if the Holy Spirit is really saying that, it will be vindicated by God's word. Mm-hmm. But you don't have the word. So anything just goes for you. Today, I am bringing the church back to the word. God wants to release his power upon his church. But we need to know these principles. We need to know them. We need to draw nearer to the Lord. By getting closer to him. In our spiritual disciplines. By seeing other things secondary and seeing God first. We need to prepare the altar of the Lord. Repair it. That altar that was broken down. We need to clear the atmosphere for prayer to reach God's throne of grace. Oh, the power of God wants to come down. So what do we do? We need to bring together Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulon, Joseph, Benjamin. We need to come together and stand as one church. And in unity will prevail. Oh, the power of God, the fire of God wants to come down. So what should we do? We need to offer our lives as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. We need to offer our all unto him in whom we live and move and have 
our being. Oh, the power of God wants to come down. His fire wants to descend. So what should we do? We need to fill our lives generously, richly, copiously with God's word. When all these things are done, when all these things are completed, the Lord will see our readiness from on high. And with that much talking, he will release his fire. And when this fire comes down, your health issue is settled. Your marital problems are settled. Your financial struggles are settled. Your ministerial crisis are settled. Because the power of God brings everything to a perfect end. God richly bless you. I am done.